the lead up to the sort of moments before my stroke sort of happened was I felt really funny and flustered and I remember going in the bathroom and sort of splashing my face with water and sort of thinking I was sort of having a bit of a hot flush and it was it was a weird feeling because I, I've suffered like with panic attacks in the past and I sort of thought I was just having a bit of like a, a bit of a sort of panic attack and a bit sort of anxious um, so I sort of had a bit of had a bit of water on my face and I was sat in the bathroom for about 10-15 minutes and I just remember sort of falling to the bathroom floor. I'm sort of panicking a bit, thinking like, why can I not feel the left side of my body? And I started to sort of think, am I having a stroke or a heart attack here? And that's when I rang 999. I thought, I'm going to have to sort of ring them. And I rang 999 and I said, I'm not being funny, but I, th I think I'm having a stroke or a heart attack. I can't sort of, I, can't, I don't know which one, but I just don't feel right. So that was the last sort of communication I remember. I mean, I remember waking up in a hospital bed. I remember seeing the like the blue, the blue curtain on the on the hospital ward, and I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I remember being, I remember sleeping a lot. And the one time I sort of woke up after a few weeks after coming out of intensive care, I remember there was about two or three consultants around my bed, and that's when they sort of told me that you've had a stroke. The more I sort of understand about what's happened to me, the more hopefully I'll recover from it. So I got sort of as much knowledge as I could of it. And then I was having intense physio, physiotherapy with the, with the physiotherapist and the occupational therapist. So that lasted for two or three months. So that was really, that was really helpful. Hello, Mark Goodyear here. Welcome to Stroke Stories. This is the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Today, we hear from Dan Holston in Manchester. Dan suffered a stroke at the age of 31. I was an account manager for a logistics company, which I really, really enjoyed before my stroke. I lived a very active life, played a lot of football with my friends, went to the gym regularly, went to um, went to the swimming baths with my daughter, and my daughter's eight. We did like, a lot of very active, a lot of very active things outdoors, and yeah, I was very, very active before my stroke. I mean, I had the occasional headache, but you don't really think anything of it at the time, and it's like, you sort of just have a paracetamol and think, I just think nothing of it. Um, so there was no sort of warning signs before. I didn't really, I, I, I didn't smoke, I didn't, I didn't drink, and I didn't really sort of do anything to sort of give any indication to my body that I was going to have a stroke. Um, my stroke was caused by an AVM on my brain. Um, so that was that was there since I was born. Um, I knew nothing about it until until my stroke. From what I remember, the day on the stroke is very, very blurry. On the 14th of March, I went to I went to work as normal. I remember briefly picking my daughter up from school, I sort of picked her up from school as normal. We got back home, and I remember making a tea. Anything after that is very, very blurry. My daughter's told me things since, but all I remember, sort of. The lead up to the sort of moments before my stroke sort of happened was I felt really funny and flustered and I remember going in the bathroom and sort of splashing my face with water and sort of thinking I was sort of having a bit of a hot flush and it was it was a weird feeling because I, I've suffered like with panic attacks in the past and I sort of thought I was just having a bit of like a, a bit of a sort of panic attack and a bit sort of anxious um, so I sort of had a bit of had a bit of water on my face and I was sat in the bathroom for about ten fifteen minutes and. I just remember sort of falling to the bathroom floor 
and my whole left side of my body just disappeared. I was sort of trying to touch my arm, trying to touch my leg, and like trying to touch my sort of just any anything on the left side of my body. I just couldn't feel, and it was like it was disappeared completely. And that's when I sort of panicked in my mind, and I thought, "This is not a panic attack. It's like it's a lot more serious than this." So I was sort of lay on the bathroom floor in the recovery position, and my daughters heard this on the outside of the bathroom, and sort of come in the bathroom and see me on the bathroom floor, and. Bless her, she's brought me she's brought me a bottle of water and sort of left a bottle of water next to me and left that in the bathroom with me and then sort of stood outside and sat on the step at the top of the stairs. So I'm sort of panicking a bit, thinking, like, why can I not feel the left side of my body? And I started to sort of think, am I having a stroke or a heart attack here? And that's when I rang 999. I thought, I'm going to have to sort of ring them. And I rang 999. And I said, I'm not being funny, but I, th- I think I'm having a stroke or a heart attack. I can't sort of, I, can't, I don't know which one, but I just don't feel right. So that was the last sort of communication I remember. All I remember after that is the, the conversation on the phone with 999. I said, I feel like I'm dying. And then on the other side of the bathroom door, my daughter was there and she, all I could hear was, Daddy, please don't die. Dan was in hospital for a total of eight months. I mean, I remember... Waking up in a hospital bed, I remember seeing the like the blue, the blue curtain on the on the hospital ward, and I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I remember being, I remember sleeping a lot. And the one time I sort of woke up after a few weeks after coming out of intensive care, I remember there was about two or three consultants around my bed, and that's when they sort of told me that you've had a stroke. That was a bit scary because I remember saying to them like. I'm 31, how can I have a stroke? So that was quite a lot to take in at the time. Unfortunately, because of the the bleed I had on my brain caused by the AVM, they did a CT scan and they sent me up to Salford Royal and that's when they they did an embolisation on my brain. Um, So they called up the the blood vessel in my brain to to stop the brain hemorrhage. So that was that was done while I was in Salford Royal, and that operation saved my life. I believe the way they described that, it was I was in a pretty bad way, and it was quite a scary um, time for my family at that time. In in the general ward, I was in um, was it like a general general ward after coming out of ICU, and I was waiting to sort of get into rehabilitation. And once I'd sort of rested a bit and recuperated after the first sort of few weeks of sleeping a lot and having a lot of a lot of time to sort of rest my brain and recover from from the surgery um, I was sort of itching to get into rehabilitation and I was waiting to sort of get into into like the physiotherapist and stuff like that and and once I moved from I was moved from the general the stroke ward to to the rehabilitation unit where I started my rehabilitation that was really good because when I got to the ward I got my phone given back to me um, after, after my brain recovered from the from the surgery I was able to sort of read read a few books and I did a lot of research while I was in my hospital bed um, stumbled across neuroplasticity and that sort of became my my sort of new best friend so to speak I did a lot of research on stroke recovery I just I wanted to try and understand as much about the situation as I possibly could because I thought the more I sort of understand about what's happened to me the more hopefully I'll recover from it so I got sort of as much knowledge as I could of it and then I was having intense physio physiotherapy with the with the physiotherapist and the occupational therapist so that lasted for two or three months so that was really that was really helpful initially Dan found it difficult returning home at first I wasn't I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to walk again 
the stroke left me with severe spasticity down my left hand side and my whole left side completely stopped working and obviously going up the stairs was going to be an issue walking walking was an issue until I obviously took my first sort of steps with the physiotherapist again um, so getting upstairs was a no-go so home wasn't an option until I sort of got myself into more of a mobile right until my, my, my mobility improved but that sort of lasted for a few months until I could get myself in a sort of safe 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 position to return home from a physical point of view it's um it unfortunately left me with quite a few scars, so to speak. My left hand and my left arm still currently is a work in progress. I'm getting regular Botox to sort of see if if that improves. Um, we have we have we're getting a bit of movement from the shoulder at the moment, so um, that's a work in progress. The leg and the foot is improving a lot. I was left with something called foot drop, so where my my ankle and my foot doesn't doesn't work at all quite similar to my hand so I'm sort of doing daily exercises and trying to sort of improve the the strength in in everything everything that's been affected by the stroke but um everything that happens to the left hand side it's it's sort of coming back very slowly in the early stages it really did affect me massively I um I was very emotional for the for the first few months and I mean I'm still quite emotional now but I think it was the uncertainty of not sort of knowing what was going to happen where I was going to be what I was going to sort of like look like after sort of coming out of hospital um obviously i knew i knew everything on my left side of my body was completely paralyzed so that to me when i was in hospital bed that was sort of that was the new normal for me and that was that was very hard to sort of come to terms with like just little things like being able to sort of push my daughter on the swings or go for a walk with her and just just little things like that the realization of this was the new me and I'd never make a sort of recovery from that and it was it was very emotional. I sort of it was an emotional roller coaster at first. Like I'd go one minute from feeling down, depressed and sorry for myself and sort of down in the dumps and that that was weird because then that would then be counteracted with, you know what, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna start walking again. And then um it was it was just very up and down in the early stages, but as the time went on, that sort of got a lot easier to manage. The more sort of positive I looked at things, the more I sort of looked into things and thought, it's just another obstacle to overcome and I can do it like I've done the last obstacle. And I've just sort of used that whole mentality through the whole process. Like I've just approached everything with that sort of positive mindset and just the hard work and determination. Coming up, Dan talks about his long-term goals. I had a lot of early goals of being able to walk, walk unaided. But like the long-term goals of going back to work, driving again, I'm starting to sort of put the wheels in motion in, in that aspect. I, I went through a post-stroke driving assessment and I, I passed that. So I've got the green light to get back on the road now. So yeah, that is that is one of the goals I was really happy to get, to get done because driving was really big for me and my daughter. And supporting your loved ones their their role in this is, is is pivotal it's um it's really it's really important their like lo- loved ones feelings as well because obviously stroke survivor being around in the early stages and beyond that being in that sort of environment is not a nice place to be for some people because from a stroke from a stroke survivor's point of view it can be a very frustrating place Dan is an active participant in the local support groups. 
did a lot of reading and research when I was um, in hospital. So I was looking at joining other groups and sort of support networks around the area, sort of globally to sort of hopefully touching like touching base with people that have sort of been in a similar situation to sort of get that reassurance that there is sort of hope after sort of a stroke and because it's a very lonely place. So I, I stumbled across two very um two very good networks. So the first being a local charity in Stockport called Stroke Information. I've become very involved with them over the last 12 months and they've been really supportive. There's a very good network of people in that group that are all stroke survivors and there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of sort of experience and that gives you a good, it gives it gives you that sort of comfort of knowing that you're not alone and that sort of feeling that there is hope for the future because you sort of look at somebody a few months down the line, a few years down the line, where where they were and you sort of see them now it, it, it's comforting knowing that if they've done it uh, there's no reason why I can't do it so yeah they've been very helpful I've met some very nice people from there um, obviously different strokes as well on Facebook have joined joined their community that's been that's been really helpful I've met some very very nice wonderful people on there which have people that are people that I probably would have well I wouldn't I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have met these sort of people if I if I hadn't have had a stroke, so it's nice to sort of come across people uh, that are in a similar situation, but people that have become friends and people that you sort of can confide in when you're sort of having a bad a bad day with your stroke because they can relate they can relate to how you're feeling. So they've them two groups have been really really helpful for me. I've been really positive about sort of setting myself targets and goals. I've obviously given myself short term goals, long term goals. I had a lot of early goals of being able to walk, walk unaided. But like the long-term goals of going back to work, driving again, I'm starting to sort of put the wheels in motion in, in that aspect. I, I went through a post-stroke driving assessment and I, I passed that. So I've got the green light to get back on the road now. So yeah, that is that is one of the goals I was really happy to get to get done because driving was really big for me and my daughter. That's a really good morale booster and um, that's that's one one goal I'm glad I've sort of achieved so yeah I'm just currently waiting for delivery of my new adapted vehicle so that's very exciting going back to work that's one thing that's on my neck that's sort of next on the list that's up there as a big goal as well because I really do want to go back to the work I've been applying for sort of jobs over the last few weeks I feel like I'm sort of ready to take that next step and sort of ready to get back to that sort of lifestyle of that normal sort of day-to-day, Monday to Friday. It really excites me, to be honest, to get back to that routine. And Dan thinks you should never lose hope. The advice I give to a stroke survivor, it's a very, very dark place. It's a very uncertain place in the in the early days. You don't know what's going to go on. You don't know sort of where you're going to be. And it's, it's, it's a scary place to be in mentally. One main thing I'd probably say is just don't give up that sort of hope of coming back from it and regaining what life you had before because it is possible. It's um, I'm at that stage now where I'm sort of re- starting to regain the the, the pre-stroke me, which is a really big thing um, because obviously in the early stages, you, you, those days feel like they're, they're never going to come and having that sort of positive mindset from the start really does make a big difference and sort of reaching out to people that have been in a similar situation really does help and getting that sort of comfort of knowing that you can get to where you want to be with that with that positive mindset. Advice I'd give to a loved one of a stroke survivor. I mean, there's not as, not so much advice, but their like loved ones, their their role in this is is, is pivotal. It's um, 
it's really it's really important there. Like lo- love one's feelings as well because obviously stroke survivor being around in the early stages and beyond that being in that sort of environment is not a nice place to be for some people because from a stroke from a stroke survivor's point of view it can be a very frustrating place and those frustrations often 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 are taken out on loved ones and I'm guilty of it myself I've um, I've been very frustrated and I've taken it out on loved ones and I never sort of consider consider those feelings of those sort of around me and how hard it is for them because it's very hard for those as well around. Dan has made a significant recovery from his stroke and he's working towards finding employment again. Thank you very much for listening to Stroke Stories. Please do subscribe, rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are a stroke survivor or you know one and there's a story you can share, please get in touch on Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.